Hi, welcome. No, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Trisha. Sorry. Okay. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, culture, media, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my two very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello! And Jason in DC. Good evening, friends. <laughs> was that properly cheerful enough for you? I, well, what was that? It's I've better. Been than- made, I've been made fun of before, apparently, for oh, saying the same thing. So I didn't I make somebody- fun of you. I just pointed out that you're. I, you're always like Trisha's always hello, and you're always what's up. I like the what's up. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say you had to change it up. I'm just saying it was fine. Hi, friends. Trisha just got back from London. Mm. So, what was it like over there? Did you want to set up shop? You know, I didn't. I couldn't. I couldn't stop myself from thinking about the United States and what I had left. Left. You know what it was? It was the feeling of um, leaving your house with the pot boiling and knowing that you have to return. <laughs> you didn't feel like you know what? I could just let that house burn down, and it doesn't matter because it's gonna you burn down anyway. <laughs> anyway, you know, I was expressing to Christopher that if you had called me on that five years ago. I could easily hold that position. But I fell in love with the United States all over again recently. And so, really? um, you know, I did. You're the actually. only one. You're the only one. <laughs> not Everyone the- else is not in love with the United States. <laughs> there was a time when I would, I would really buy into the fantasy of escaping to Europe. But at no point in time did I consider that at all while I was over there. Which is surprising. I remember I we used to plan like, very extensively how we were going to escape United States. Although I have to say, like similarly to you, I was just walking back from the supermarket earlier and I was thinking at some point in the last year, I decided that I was going to stay here. And as you both know, like the year before that, I was very much exploring the world, trying to figure out where I was going to go. Yeah. But all at some point I just decided like, no, I want to stay here. It's yeah. weird. It's a weird time to fall in love with America all over again. I'll tell you that. But somehow it <laughs> happened. Well, you know, I, I never was seriously considering leaving, but as, you know, lots of folks, including you two, were talking about, like, oh, if Trump wins, you know, where are we going to go? I, you know, I did spend time thinking about it, even though I didn't plan to act on it. And I have to say, I can't really think of a place that I'd want to go. I mean, there are places I love to visit, but any place I think of has its own set of problems that don't, you know, that, that ultimately those places don't feel or sound more attractive to me. Kauai? That's in the United States. That doesn't count. Yeah, but like, I mean, but, uh, I, I they feel like they're they have a different set of problems. A, yeah, they don't have an official alt-right registry. <laughs> you mean neo-Nazis? Stop with this. <laughs> I refuse <laughs> to what? use coded language. <laughs> what, what, what is that? What do you mean official registry? Did I miss Well, they were saying, no, they were saying that there are, um, all 50 states have um, KKK members, but ex- all except Hawaii. Because it's too chill out there. It's like they want to organize. It's hot. They underneath their sheets. They're just sweating. They're like, "Fuck this. Let's just like people." Get more. Let's start. Or it's just that the colonization project was so successful that they didn't need a clan. The state hegemony uh, sufficed. You know, Jason. Way Such to put that spin on it. Such a bummer. You know what I mean? Such a bummer. We can't even have. We can't even have Hawaii, Jason. We can't Not have nice Hawaii. things. Can't have nice things. 
I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be the Grinch. He's really ready. The Grinch who stole Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been, so I can't really speak to I want to go, but every Neither time I think I, about actually. it. You, well, you're halfway there, Trish. You should just pop over. Yeah, you can take a boat, for God's sake. Whenever I think about it, I'm like, uh, it's way cheaper to – It's it's almost cheaper to go to, like, India. Like – it's expensive to get to Hawaii. And when you get there, you have to pay American cash. Yeah. Which true. is prohibitively expensive for a <laughs> resort uh, like a resort like that. The entire freaking place is a resort. All right. Let's jump into stuff. So, Jason, you were interested in what's happening in Maryland as far as money-based bail systems. I don't know. It's not that a law has been passed, but uh, the, there's been a judicial review of the way that bails are assigned. And bail, of course, is what you pay to stay, keep yourself out of jail while your trial is forthcoming. But now Maryland is saying that that unduly puts pressure on poor people and people of color. And that if someone's not of danger to themselves or others or flight risk, then the bail will be affordable. It wasn't really clear. I'm not really sure what recommendation they're making as far as 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 how they're going to set bail for poor people who for even $1,000 might be enough to keep them in jail for God knows how long while their trial uh, rolls out ahead. But it just, it got me thinking about the cash bail system that we have in the first place and what its purpose is. And I'm curious what you guys think about that. Yeah, so I became interested in this topic. Uh, that, that's a very recent article, but I actually became interested in this topic um, a couple years ago. I went to a conference, it was an education conference, but the sake of a conversation about advocacy in other sectors besides education, which is what I do, they brought in uh, a high up at the Arnold Foundation who described himself as a libertarian who is very passionate and has worked very carefully on this issue of bail. And he even made the point, which the article didn't, that like, in fact, what ends up happening is some of the most dangerous alleged criminals get out. And people who may not even have done anything violent, just don't have the money to post bail, end up in jail. And it's, it's again, it's a cost to society. It's not fair to their rights, et cetera. So I think this is a rare opportunity, this issue, where there's a real confluence of interest. Whether it's because you're a libertarian and you don't like a lot of people in jail, whether it's you, know, you don't want to pay taxes to keep people in jail who don't know, need to be there, or whether you're really concerned about, you know, I care that we have equitable policies – Here's an opportunity to fix this. Right now, uh, and this is, you can see this on the Arnold website, the Arnold Foundation website, which works on this issue, the vast majority of judges use no evidence basis to decide bail. And, and there's an opportunity to actually look at statistical, like statistics and do an analysis and say, I can figure out based on data whether you're a flight risk or whether you're likely to commit another crime while you're out and without looking at race or economics or anything, and we could be letting a lot more people go who should not be behind bars. So devil's advocate, you, I get arrested for a crime. Forget about everything I said earlier about me falling in love with the United States. Let's say that's the moment where I'm like, fuck the United States. I'm off to the Netherlands. How do you know someone's a flight risk until, until they have to make that choice? Well, the answer to that- and, um, oh, Pattern, ahead, I would be probably- I would I would assume that I would seem like a flight risk, right? Because they're pat. First of all, you'd have to look at my the pattern of my behavior. I've traveled out of the country. I have a passport. I have family elsewhere. 
Mm-hmm. I think there are things that you can you can evaluate to decide if someone's really a flight risk. But don't you think? This is why I found the, the this article. I, I mean, there was uh, we'll post the article, but I found it a little vague around this. And again, that's not a bill that's being proposed. It's like they're reviewing the process. Just what you said, Trisha. You travel out of the country. You have family elsewhere. You have a passport. That's a lot of immigrants or first generation immigrants uh, who are here. And so, sure. and then, so now we're talking about people of color again. So let's say I, I have family outside the country. I've traveled outside the country. Like, am I a flight risk? I just, I, I wonder about the application of this. And when they say they want to make bail affordable for poor people, I don't know what that means. And I don't know how uh, you would assess that. I don't think, first of all, they're not talking about bail being affordable. At least because I did some additional reading on this. And this mm-hmm. is not just, it's a, it's about eliminating financial bail, period. Yeah. Um. So it's not about deciding, oh, you can afford to pay this. So this is what we're going to charge. There's, no, it's about actually eliminating the financial aspect of bail in general. And either... Uh, either house arrest or um, some sort of monitoring system, because the whole point is that you are actually innocent at this point in time. That's right. That's right. Well, and so I'm, I'm going to just for a moment, read from this Arnold foundation uh, website, the public, Fine, but make it quick. Okay. So <laughs> they, they, no one, so no one likes to be read to Jason, but go the ahead. Answer to your question though, in terms of factors. So they say they use a database of over 1.5 million cases drawn from more than 300 us jurisdictions. And here are the factors that are the best predictors of whether a defendant will commit a new crime, commit a new violent crime or fail to return to court. Here they are. Whether the person has a pending charge at the time of arrest, whether the current offense is violent, whether the person has a prior misdemeanor conviction, whether the person has a prior felony conviction, whether the person has a prior conviction for a violent crime, the person's age at time of arrest, whether the person failed to appear at a pretrial hearing in the last two years, which makes sense, whether the person failed to appear at a pretrial hearing more than two years ago, and whether the person has previously been sentenced to incarceration. Those are the factors based on their research. Those factors, when put into some kind of algorithm, that will tell you whether someone is likely to commit a crime or, or fail to return to court. And to me, those seem like you know, perfectly reasonable ones. And, and I think what you just pointed out, Trisha, is right. Like We're talking about if you're not a risk of committing a crime or failing to return to court, why have bail? There's no reason to have it. It just becomes a business for you know, bail bondsmen and the like. Bail bondsmen opposed this. Of course, <laughs> this move I mean, by it, the it state eliminates their business, right? So people would just be allowed to return home. You know, this sounds like a good idea to me, but it's one of these things where I feel like there might be implications, or am I just being stick in the mud? Obviously, I think there'll be implications. At this point in time, we deal with the implications. If you're wealthy, that's right. You can post bail and go home even if you murdered your wife or murdered or done something extremely dastardly. That's right. That, that's exactly right. There's just, you no- know what I mean? So you might have to go to the original question, the original question. And actually I think this brings back the original question. Why do we want to establish bail in the first place? Is this some preventative thing? Is it, was it meant to get you back in court? Yes. If that's you want to really, make sure that you know, people appear for their court dates so they can have a trial. Uh, exactly. If there are other ways to ensure that that happens, why wouldn't you why wouldn't you attempt that piece and i mean what i like about it is i like the idea of eliminating cost period 
Because at this point in time, if I've evaluated that you are a danger to society or you're a flight risk or any of the other reasons why you it might fall on, um, I would rather they send you to jail. I'd rather you not have access to um, the general population of people out in the world, regardless of how much money you have. Right. Mm-hmm. It should be pass-fail. Like either we don't have reason to believe that you're a danger to society or we do. <laughs> and if we do... <laughs> You stay in jail no matter how much money you have. And if you don't, then you're free to go and we'll see you at your court date. I mean, I'm open to this idea because, I mean, this is what happened to Khalif Browder, right? His family could not, aff- the, the young man who killed himself after spending three years in jail, without a trial, by the way. People spent a tremendous amount of time in jail. So I was just, you know, poor Khalif Browder, what, in jail for stealing, supposedly stealing uh, something, candy, a backpack? Mm-hmm. And was in jail for three years awaiting trial with actually not even without a trial because he couldn't afford the bail. Oh, I remember this story now. This is the young man that killed himself recently. Yes. Yeah, I remember this. And then story. his mother died. I mean, so these are the kinds of injustices. And I think when we evaluated what was happening in Ferguson, that was also happening in Ferguson. People yep. were just being held in jail indefinitely. Because mm-hmm. also the other, the, I mean, the other side of this issue too is that the system is broken because people are being held in jail for a really long time awaiting trial. Why? I mean, why are you waiting so long for trial? Isn't that part of, isn't that part of the constitution? Trial, but speedy, much like cruel and unusual is is determined by history and current culture. Uh, It's relative term. Also holding people, holding people in jail criminalizes them. Exactly. Yes. That's why. HBO's The Night Of, which had oh, yeah. a lot of problems. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, it tells this fable of this guy who is who may or may not have committed a crime. It's ever, that's actually not the important part of the story. But the thing is, he goes to Rikers and it just sort of follows his transformation from like nerdy, um, tutoring Pakistani kid to uh, crack smoking, tattooed up, a gangster dude and it's a bit much it's a bit of a stretch but the point is like those things do happen like you send people to rikers and they encounter some really bad dudes and so i think and also not for nothing it's hell on people of color and poor people who you get they go there they're criminalized or they're they're in introduced to some criminal enterprise that they otherwise would not have been introduced to now they get out and they're beholden to it I think you make a fair point because one of the things that the I think one of the things that I found in my research is that people say that jurors automatically assume that if you come in the court in gear that suggests that you are already arrested, the presumption is you're guilty in their mind. Like if they bring in the orange jumpsuit, is that what you mean? Yeah, like if you come in in an orange jumpsuit or because if you shackles. if yeah, in shackles, the assumption then is, oh, well, then why why you're treating this person this way because they're already guilty when most people don't actually understand. Because, listen, I if I were called up for jury duty, I don't understand the particulars. So if I see um, if I see a defendant come in already sort of processed and being in jail, there's already a predisposition for me to probably assume that he w- he or she was a danger you know, it, it, there's just a lot of presets in your mind. So would you guys be cool with like, like someone gets drunk, mows down like three teenagers out on the town on a Friday night and they have to stand trial for this. You're okay with that person going home, like say with an ankle monitor? 
Well, the question of this, I mean, think about that. Most likely there's been a pattern. I mean, it's rare for someone who's been arrested for drunk driving that they haven't had that in the past. So most likely that's probably somebody who probably should stay in jail because they probably are at risk. I mean, well, okay, but now, you know, now, thank you, thank you for diving headlong into the rabbit sure. hole. Sure, I'm helping you. I'm you. helping you. So, I'm helping you. So, drunk drivers end up. So, drunk drivers go to jail awaiting trial. So, who doesn't? Lots of people. You know who go to jail? People who um, miss a ticket. Yeah, nonviolent offenders. But I mean, that you've just basically told me somebody. Listen, drunk driving is a pattern of behavior. This is the question. If you can establish a pattern of behavior, then you can uh, you can establish that there's some predictive element to what's going to happen. If you've committed drunk driving in the past and you accidentally haven't killed anyone and this time around you did it, most likely you'll probably keep doing it because drunk driving is, I mean, alcoholism is a disease unless you're going to get some sort of um, rehabilitation. I think that there's a high chance that you're going to do this. If, for example, you were in an accident I evaluate your record in the past, seeing that this is the first time you've done anything this way, I might be able to establish that this is not something you're going to do. Now that I'm thinking this through, I don't know, I guess this conversation has made me think differently about it. How would they really ensure that people return for their court date? I mean, even still, it's a big country. Like, what if I was like, well, uh, I don't want to deal with this shit that I did. And I just pick up and I move to Oklahoma. You well, know, that's what they want to know. They look at the. They also want to know whether you have family in the area, whether you have a job. But what if, but with, no, with, no, with no collateral on the line, let's say I just take a whole bunch of money and I move out to Oklahoma <laughs> and I start over. Do you know how it, they may catch me, but it might take a while given the way that state departments don't talk to each other. I don't know. Like I'm okay. The cash bond system I think is problematic, but the idea of collateral holding something so that you will return to court like that sort of makes sense to me. I don't know. I think we have data on who is a flight risk. Now it's true. You're that- leaning on the data. You're really leaning on it. But, and so um, in- one, yeah. 1.5 million, 1.5 million data points is not little data. Yeah. Fair. If you pick someone's pocket and so you get arrested and then you get released on your own recognizance and then, you know, there's a trial date and you move to Oahu, fine. <laughs> like we don't have to worry about you. We don't have to worry about you picking up pockets in, in this place. I mean, I, like it's not that serious of a Jason, crime. Who cares? Go, Jason. Because the system doesn't work that way. Come on. Well, we, I mean, we're talking about how it should work or how it could work. Well, like, no. You know what? We're actually not talking about how it should or could work. There, are, there are places that are testing this out now. This is happening in That's other true. states. They're doing this in other states. They're doing this in New Mexico. They're doing it in Jersey. I mean, they they have decided that at the end of the day, the execution of the system is is blatantly unfair to poor people. You cannot have something in place that guilt or innocence is basically dependent on how much money you mm-hmm. have. Right. You have, you you essentially have. They have to. Yeah, you have to figure out another way. I mean, this is just one option. I think if they were attempt if they were attempt to do this several for several years, I think you I think the data might prove more reliable, right? Obviously, this is something you'd have to keep tweaking. Sure. So if you, you know, you're like, wait a minute, how much money does this person have in their bank account? Mm, that's <laughs> maybe the question. If you can't afford bail, maybe you um, couldn't have been a flight risk anyway. All right. So. <laughs> 
let's move on to the next thing. So, you know, we've gone long enough without talking about the election. Uh-huh. So at this moment, what, over 1.7 million people have voted. More people have voted for Hillary Clinton than Donald Trump, even though that he has used the Electoral College to his advantage. And so if you are on Facebook or near Facebook or heard of Facebook, you have seen multiple petitions going around asking you to sign it to abolish the Electoral College. What is this outmoded thing? Why do we only care about it every four years? And what should we do about it now? I, I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this. <laughs> I, I want to hear what you have to say first. Because yeah, you this, ate you know, it. Talk about yeah. it. <laughs> no, Chris said, I mean, we, you know, just so the listeners get a little behind the scenes uh, footage, so to speak, of, of how this works. So we had this little Facebook message exchange among the three of us. And if I remember correctly, Chris, you said you liked the Electoral College. Okay. Let me, I go back and forth on this all the time. And so you've caught me, when we had that exchange, I was pro-Electoral College. Two days ago, but, and now you're not. Two, two days ago, but it's been like that because I keep shifting because I've been reading a lot about it. You've been reading, like, let me get stories from Macedonia about the Electoral College. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know Barbara Bush created the Electoral College? What I want to say is that I'm anti-Electoral College for the moment, and this is why. The way that we treat elections is that you have to just trick enough people to vote for you if you're a candidate to get the electoral votes, then you can move on. So what happens is it's these patterns that exist for Democrat, Democratic and Republican candidates in which Hillary Clinton will never go to West Virginia and Donald Trump will never really spend any time in, say, California or New York or Massachusetts. And the problem, the reason why this hurts our democracy is because it's not just, it's not a game where you just have to like tip it over a little bit because there's plenty of people who voted against you. And the idea is, is that if Hillary Clinton had to go into the wilds of Pennsylvania and make her pitch to those people for her vote about how she was going to help the people between Harrisburg and Philadelphia, what she was going to do for them, she'd have to make that message relevant for them. But what happens is, is that there is sort of an a priori decision made like, oh, well, I'm not going to get these votes or I am going to get these votes. So I'm either going to spend the time and money to go or not. So in this way, I think I'm a fan of the one person, one vote, because if we learn anything from this election, so you just can't write off half the population or a fifth, which is what we've been talking about. That's who voted for Trump, a fifth of the population. Last week, last podcast, I said it was quarter, but actually it was if you take the entire population, it's less than one-fifth of the people voted Donald Trump in. But but that's why I, I think that's it. So I'm not pro-electoral college. I understand. I know it's got a very troubled history. I understand why it exists. The reasons why it exists, the Founding Fathers built it. One of the reasons was to make sure that someone who was not prepared for the presidency didn't seize the presidency by just being a populist. Like Trump? Figure. Yeah, but given that this is where we've arrived – I'm say it's broken and we can get rid of it. Trisha, what do you think? Wait, I thought you started out defending it. How did you end up saying goodbye to it? Two days um, ago, he was defending it. Now I know, but now I'm, I listen, you know what? I'm a dynamic, complicated <laughs> person. <laughs> or flip-flopper, <laughs> just depends on how you look at it. No, or someone that changes his mind with information. Listen, <laughs> I... <laughs> Should I be ashamed about that? And I change my mind I with that. new information? 
Listen. Anyway. Well, that's 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 what adults do. Yes. Um, I you know I oh, my problem with the electoral college is is my problem with anything that comes up every four years that we have to suddenly think about. Why aren't we tweaking the system? Because I, I don't think there's anything specifically wrong with the electoral college per se. That my problem is the back end of it is that there isn't any actual room for the electors to make to 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 do anything different like clearly it for example right now Hillary Clinton is 1.7 million and continue her lead continues to grow in terms of general consensus right about what what what's valuable and what people care about and who actually won the popular vote but it doesn't seem to me that there's any room to negotiate with what the electoral college members are able to do now like, I don't understand why that process is so frozen. Now, part of it is just habit. They clearly could decide that they don't have to throw their hat in the ring with with um, Trump. They don't have to. That's not a given. The actual official election is on December 19th. I get that. But just because of history, they've never done it. So, well, but what you're suggesting, so what you're suggesting is dangerous, I would say, because you're, what you're saying opens the door to them voting differently for any reason. Than their constituents, but they can vote for very valid reasons. If you, my thing is, why can't you present a case to the electoral college that says this election was obviously there were obviously some wacky incidents that happened in terms of voter suppression. There were some incidents that happened with Putin, and the FBI has already said that it believes that there should be some investigation into Putin having an effect on the election. Now we were just seeing some new information that says that um, electronic polling took place in certain key states and um a couple computer experts are saying that hillary clinton should evaluate what happened in wisconsin um michigan and pennsylvania because the voting booth may have been hacked which by the way hacking has been a big story on this election period so it seems to me that there's some open questions about what actually happened during the election process i feel like the electors should have access to some evidence of that and a conversation should take place on December 19th where people have the option of changing their votes. Oh my, Oh God. I disagree. And with that's you. scary. Of course, for you, because so it's like, strongly it's like right cause you're, but see what I don't understand is it's clear to me that at this point in time, Trump is theoretically unfit to be president, not because people don't like him or any of those things. He's explicitly done things, illegal things. Up, up, up to this point. And he's now admitted it out loud because he knows that there's nothing that can be done. He, you know, he's admitted the things, the fraud with the uh, with, with his foundation. He's admitted that he's actually had um, inappropriate conversations. I mean, these are things that should have made him unfit to even run. Can we Let's step back from Trump for a second, just for a second. Mm-hmm. Here's my question. What value does the Electoral College have at all? Why not just have the winner of the national popular vote win elections for the same reason that we know it's there because essentially the electoral college was to stop you stop a small space from being dominated by the majority majority rule right if california whatever goes in california so goes the country that was the reason why we have an electoral college right and it's it's to stop urban rule 50 yeah 50 percent of the population lives in cities yep Right, and but, also I think also to how I mean I think it was also probably something around slaves too. Places yeah, there's a lot of talk about the, the three fifths compromise, and except yep. there's a lot of people misquoting that. I encourage everyone just do a smooth Wikipedia, everybody. <laughs> you know, in 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 your in your fever 
to be the latest person to repost something about the Electoral College on Facebook, I encourage everyone just to just do a smooth Google. Wait, just, just, I mean, wait, I, just read I, the Constitution. It's not that long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen. Yeah, that. I mean, I'm not even going to any. I'm not even going to any sort of weird um, conspiracy theories about it. I mean, obviously, we get the value of the Electoral College, but no, wait, no, we don't. No, we wait, don't. Jason, on, wait, wait, you don't. Jason doesn't. Jason, you disagree. respond. Oh, you disagree? I'm sorry. I thought we all understood how the Electoral College worked. <laughs> no, I know how it works. I disagree that it has value. Now, I understand what you two just said, and I know that's the rationale that so that, you know, highly like densely populated places mm-hmm. don't end up determining elections. What we have now is the opposite. So you know, part of it is like, oh, well, you know, politicians would have no reason to go to sparsely populated places because, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't matter. But now politicians have no reason to go to densely populated places that are heavily a single party. So, yep. I, you know, I live in a city, Washington, D.C. It's very heavily, heavily Democratic. Before I moved here, I lived in Maryland, very heavily Democratic state, and they don't campaign there. And so, we we have basically the opposite problem now where, you know, we and again, let's just step away for a second from the current candidates, but just we have someone who won by winning sparsely populated areas. Like, yep. so I I understand that the intention may have been good, but we've now reached a point where by trying to solve for one problem, they created completely another problem. And so there's not going to be a perfect solution here what seems fairest and makes the most sense democratically is that the person who wins the popular vote becomes the president. Like I I don't see a value anymore in electoral college. And again, I'm not even forget, look, this election, even with 1.7 million, it's not like an enormous gap. So like we could talk about this election, but generally speaking, I say do away with it. I don't think it's achieving anything that let's put it this way. The, the costs are outweighing the benefits. So what do you what so what's your solution? Uh-huh. Um, just go by the popular vote. Yeah, just popular vote. I well, isn't that good enough for other countries? Like, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, it's good enough for other countries. I don't know why it's not good enough for us. The other question it begs, which is a, a deep rabbit hole, we don't have to go through it now. But it, I mean, the electoral college is rooted in this what I would call fetishism around individual states. Yeah, and I and again. I understand at the founding of the country that in order to get these different colonies that now consider themselves to be sovereign states to join a single union, you had to put these protections in place. And I also know that today there are people who really value states' rights. We have a single economy. We're a single country. I'm not saying there should be no states, but like states having a prominence that actually affects national election as opposed to just, as you said, Chris, like most countries, popular vote nationally, that's what matters. State is irrelevant when it comes to a national election. I don't mm-hmm. know. To me, that's just like common sense. It just like makes sense. It's, it's a national election for people, you know, for people leading the whole country. So it's based on the popular vote for the whole country. I, 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 I have no use for the Electoral College. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm nervous about it only because it just so happens to work out for us that people of color are, 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 are having a lot of babies. But if that were to switch and suddenly there are more white people here, I don't know. I'm not feeling that comfortable with the idea. I like the idea that you have to take each state 
and um and consider consideration. It. I do. I mean, this, and this is one in my pro electoral college days. <laughs> this is two days ago. That's that was my pro. It's like you know what I said before. Like you know, dem- the Democrat would have to go to the hills of West Virginia. The Republican would have to go into Miami, uh, uh, Broward, and Dade County in Florida. They would they would have to go to those places to get those votes if it was one person one vote. However, there is something about the fact that Wyoming, with its whopping population of sixteen people, is still in play. Like it's maybe it's partly symbolic, but it's part of the union. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, you can't. The union and they each get one vote. Like I, I just I still don't. Yeah, but they'll, but I, they'll never I, be they, able to place anyone into a position of power. It's a because. That's not where most of the people are. Like, I, I, I do not get this. It makes no sense to me. Like, they're getting to vote like everybody else. And I don't, Am I, I too don't... precious about the states individually? Yeah, that's the thing about the states. And that's – I feel like the, the – our, um, our adhering to the Electoral College is adhering to, again, what seems to me to be this, like, fetish of states. And, again, I'm not saying there shouldn't be state governments or state laws, but national election – national vote like it's the state should be irrelevant in my opinion <laughs> I, I i i don't know i you know what listen i maybe it's election hangover and even though i'm not a, i'm not a huge fan of the winner i don't know if i'm willing to throw out the electoral college because i just never know i don't know what could happen what if one day what if one day all black people are trapped in um wyoming yeah i don't know <laughs> If all black people are trapped in Wyoming, we've got much bigger fish to fry. Exactly. Honey, we finally have Jason's Blacktopia. (laughs) Black Atlantis. But I didn't want it in Wyoming. (laughs) It was in Atlanta. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, I, I, but I think it gets at the heart of the issue, right? Like, because there are not enough people representing the full range of society in, in multiple states. And this is why we end up with what we have. Because even when I was looking at the math, the electoral math, I was just looking at all the sea of red and these like dots of blue <laughs> in different places. And and those dots are in the cities, but yeah. it, holds, it holds it down. I don't know. I think I'm back in my pro electoral college days right oh now. Oh my god! Oh, we've done. It. Listen, what I want is maybe maybe what we're having a problem with is I want campaigning to be done differently. Or that's no, it. That's not okay. really right. Maybe no, that's no. It. Trisha, you hit it on the head. My problem is the way that the campaign is run. Like I want, I want candidates to speak to all Americans. Like the fact that Hillary was just talking to really women and minorities and gays and Trump was talking to Nazis and racists, the <laughs> Legion of Doom and Skeletor. Uh, I feel like both of them should be a little bit more flexible because you should not be able to capture an election just by deciding which, which barrel of fish you're going to shoot into. Well, I think the argument you're making is an anti-electoral college argument. I know. I'm all over the place. (laughs) Okay, wait, wait. What about this? Screw this. We didn't even talk about this option. Forget the electoral college. What about mandatory voting? Oh, oh, Jason, you just got Jason rock hard now. (laughs) Jason (laughs) loves himself a mandatory voting system. (laughs) Because a mandatory voting system makes the electoral college okay for me suddenly, right? Or does it? Does it mess it up? No. If everyone's allowed to vote and you're penalized if you don't, by the way, penalized might 
going to jail. No, no. No bail. No bail jail. No bail. But you know what? The, the problem with mandatory voting, and I don't know how other countries handle this, but you th- think about think about what that would do to some people in some communities. Now, in Australia, they have mandatory voting, and the 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 ticket that you get for not voting is $25. However, yeah. you know, for some people, $25? I don't know. You know, I think about, you know, I know a lot of people who are single parents, barely making it. They've got three or four kids. And every time one of those kids has to get on the subway to go to an appointment, it's costing them something like $17, $20, something like that that they can barely afford. So, I mean, some people- Oh, no, really- screw that. Screw that. You got to vote. Yeah, just vote. If what? you live here, vote. But if you, you got it, I am not- Oh like God. I cannot believe these what ifs that you two are coming up with. Like, I'm not these, coming these, up with any what ifs. Well, not I, on this one, but these no. Are... You <laughs> you could do mandatory voting, Jason, and you make voting day a vacation day. Absolutely, a paid however, holiday. However, paid holiday. Okay, a paid holiday. So, are you going to tell me that like Josue, the delivery guy, is going to actually get that day off from work? No, yes. No. Yeah. The, no. The, the, the no. Head no. at Price Waterhouse Cooper two weeks. Oh, oh, oh. No, you do no. it over two weeks, including There's two only weekends. voting. Yeah, yes. you can vote. Right. There are many. Pla- Listen, part of what I mean, part of what we can do. Obviously, we ha- there. No one has an interest in everyone voting here. We've we've made sure that it's impossible for people to vote in the United States. We know that. But if you really want this to be about representation by the people, you have to facilitate this process better. You right. can vote. You could take. You could take a month to vote, or however long. I mean, there's no reason why it has to all happen on one day. Right. Maybe, you know, so it's like the weekend before, there are many hours of the days. And maybe what you do is expand the hours. Okay, let's have some midnight voting. I mean, whatever. We, we midnight can do voting? What, I know. Ooh, ooh, like a yes. Ooh. Disco ball, drinks. But you know what I mean? You could do, you could, we could do the work to make sure that people yes. voted and yes. had the ability to vote. I don't have to screw over the single mom or the single dad with having to pay $25 for not voting. We can set that up. It's okay. not impossible. We need to move on, but let's just have a vote, uh, the three of us right now. Vote. Are you? Are Wait, you? Wait, electoral college. Does my vote count as much as you two? <laughs> Where do you live? Where do you live? One. <laughs> Trish is in California, so her vote will just blow ours out. So, Trisha, electoral college, yay or nay? Uh, yay with changes. <laughs> no, it's yay or nay. Oh, fuck it. Um, yay. Oh my Jason, god! What? Electoral college? Hell or nay? no! Hell no! It looks like I have the deciding vote <laughs> in, in New York, America. Right? What I've decided <laughs> is, I'm sorry, Jason. Electoral college, yay. Why? I'm sorry. I don't I, you know why? what? Because I, I think. There will come a time when we'll be trapped in Wyoming. There's something something to it. There's nothing to it. I know I admonish Trisha, but yay with changes. The electoral college system has failed us here. (laughs) (laughs) It's failed us here. But I think throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I'm just not comfortable yet. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can I just say in this, so far in this episode, I am just struck by. by the conservatism of you two. Conservatism? Say, no. Yeah. No. I say across the board, 
Get rid of the cash bail system. Get rid of the electoral college. Mandatory voting. Let's stop fucking around. I don't understand all this hand-wringing about, oh my god, if all the black people get trapped in Wyoming. What the <laughs> fuck are we talking about? Like, it's I do true. not understand these what-ifs. It's true. It's true. Listen if, you, if it, listen, if this comes down to just popular vote, we'd be screwed. Let's think about that. Well, well, we weren't, though, but we weren't in this case, Trisha. Why would we be be, be, Because you know what? Because just so happens, thank God, Americans were smarter than we gave them credit for. What if they weren't? Two weeks ago, you said the exact opposite. (laughs) No, no, no. Not about about, 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 about. what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. Jason, imagine if Trump had gotten 1.7 million extra votes. Yeah. And he said a message that was compelling enough for the rest of the, for the American public. You're you're presuming a level of faith in the American public that no, I'm just no. not. Yeah, we're no well, worse off. No, We'd you're be talking no about worse off. you're we're talking in the about same place. No, you're talking about popularity vote should win. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm not, you know what wins popularity vote? American Idol controls things. I don't and they know. Don't even get it right. Hello, Jennifer Hudson <laughs> came in eighth. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. I just Fantasia don't know. won. Wait, how does electoral college? Electoral college doesn't help us make better choices. There's nothing about it that gets us a better president. Like, what are you talking about? It got us Barack like, Obama yes. fine. I was very fine with that. <laughs> Barack Obama won the popular, popular vote. vote. And the electoral By college. What I, what I want is a combo. I want both. I want, you know what I, that's what I said. I, th- I feel like in some ways the, the popular vote has to have some merit and has to have the ability to tweak what happens with the electoral college. This is why I think the electoral college should not, the assumption already is that basically you've just voted, each state has already voted for a Republican or a Democrat elector. I don't think it should function that way. All right. I shouldn't function at all. I I still, you're, I I have not heard a good rationale. You know what the thing is? Direct elections just freak me out. I'm sorry. I'm just going to put it out there. Direct elections freak me out because as we've learned, like people can be swayed so easily. Like I think there needs to be a system. Uh, there has to be a check in the system. Maybe it's the electoral college doesn't work. Maybe winner takes take all doesn't work. Maybe it's something. Have to, maybe Let's just go back to parliamentary. Parliamentary. System. Now I could we could talk house, about that. We let's vote in our that. house districts. Maybe maybe that's what <laughs> we're doing. Like I don't know. Like maybe you it's a portioned how much popular state how much popular vote of the state that you get, you get some portion of the electoral vote. So you don't just yes. write off millions of yes. people in a particular state. That's what I don't want. I don't see this is my Jason, thing. You refuse to budge. You want one yeah, man, really one do. vote. You're being very rigid. Very. Because the other thing is if we did have a portioning of the electoral college, it would also control for the popular vote going to one person. I'm gonna hang up. I'm, I'm okay. Gonna, I'm just gonna put my headphone down. I just huh. I. Okay. Oh my God. You know what? Let's all take all a right. Let's gonna, move. Let's, let's, move, let's move, move forward. On. Let's move oh forward. Let's this move is the on. most frustrating episode that I have participated in. What is your problem? <laughs> Which episode didn't you participate? <laughs> it's like me and Trisha like that <laughs> Okay. Jason's all right. Let's move upset. on. But you know okay. what, Jason? Jason's always eager to throw baby out with bath water. I, I do. I want revolution. I. That's what I'm saying. You two, that's hand wringing. Uh, There's no hand wringing. No, is that the whole conversation? This is a bit of, hand, a bit wringing. of hand wringing, Trisha. <laughs> Not that hand wringing. My my hands are a little. They're moist. Rug. You're a little rock. Yeah. I'm, a little, I'm rub raw. I'm. I, I just. <laughs> okay, we can move on. We're gonna move on. We're gonna right, move on. So, move on. 
teenagers in Macedonia have never been more famous as they are <laughs> this week. <laughs> when it was revealed that uh, they have just been generating fake news stories. Fake news, st- well, let's call it what it is, propaganda has popped up everywhere. And because of Facebook and Twitter, it's been able to sh- be shared at lightning fast speeds. So now we are left to wrestle with the question, do these fake news stories slash propaganda, did they sway the election? What is Facebook's responsibility? Uh, that's something Zuckerberg is tackling right now, which I think he's doing poorly, but whatever. And the question that I'm always asking is how are we supposed to have a democracy when we do not have adequate information about our representatives and the issues at hand? Jason, take a deep breath and wow us with your liberal point of view. By the way, me and Trish are now conservatives, but go ahead. I'm going to quote another podcast for a second. I was listening to Slate's Political Gab Fest and David Plotz was quoting someone else, so I don't remember, but who pointed out that it's actually a relatively brief period in our country's history that there's been like any kind of value on unbiased journalism. And I mean, you made the point, Chris, a couple episodes ago about how, you know, in the early 19th century, I mean, the parties had their own newspapers and there was like very little concern for accuracy or truth. It, it was propaganda. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't like what I'm saying. Like I would prefer to have unbiased journalism. I do value it. But um, I guess to me, the, the, the Facebook conversation, it's really, it's at the symptom level. And the, I want to say the fundamental problem, although maybe that's, I'll, I'll not use the word problem because that's judgmental. The fundamental dynamic, which I think is at the root of all this, is that a lot of people in our country, on both sides, although I think it's much heavier on the right, do not value facts or data or information or whether something's biased. A very significant portion of our population, and I think we people said this outright in this in this election that just happened, value much more how they feel about things, whether something feels right, and any quote information unquote or images or text that affirms their feeling, they like whether it's factual or not, and they may even know that it may not be factual, and anything that that seems to conflict with how they feel uh, they don't like and they won't be receptive to no matter how much evidence there is. To me, that's a, that's an underlying, again, I, I'll say problem to me, it is a problem, but you know, Facebook can do what it does, but I, I just don't know. I mean, look, there is unbiased press. It's not like people can't go to certain sources and find, you know, information that has been actually researched and fact checked. People chose, not all people, but many people chose not to do that. So I just think it's a much deeper problem. I don't know the solution, but you know, I'm mean, fine. Zuckerberg. Yeah. Great. Like if you can find a way to fact check stuff, that's great. I don't think it's going to solve the problem. So Trisha, Jason is saying that there are unbiased news sources. Do you agree with that? No. Well, while you're thinking, mm-hmm. let me just, so we don't get stuck on that. I'll rescind the word unbiased. To me, the issue is like fact checked. There are sources that fact check, there are sources that don't, and there are sources that outright fabricate. To me, the fundamental problem is that a significant portion of our population does not care whether something is fact checked or is factual. I think that's the bigger problem. So Trisha, how do you, what's your take on the whole fake news phenomenon? It's kind of, let me back out of it for a little bit. 
let's go back to the um, the method the method by which the fake news was delivered, right? The reason why people even had access to the fake news was Facebook. Essentially, they took this space that doesn't have the means of fact checking, because on Facebook it doesn't matter what it is. I it's anything rises to the top just simply by base interest. Which is why it was always scary for me that Facebook was even entering the news business in the first place. Mm -hmm. Because it's like Reddit, right? Just general interest brings something to the top. It has nothing to do with whether it's truthful or not. So couldn't we have anticipated this in some way? But what, what do you make of, let's forget Facebook for a second. Let's go back 20 years ago. National Enquirer was a very was is a very popular publication i'm still hesitant to peg this on facebook i mean obviously what you said trisha there's no question that the distribution of fake news has you know has become much faster and the ability to share fake news but fake news is not an innovation i mean it's been with us forever it has been for us been, been with us forever however we all understood what we all understand what we're doing when we pick up the national Enquirer. We, we, you know, most of us assume there's a part of it that's true, but we know elements of it aren't entire. Because, hello, they talk about three-headed, three-headed whatevers. You know, they, they, the, the nature of the way that our interaction, we interacted with those papers appropriately. We, we, we giggled about it. We said it under a breath. And we did all that stuff because we knew that in some ways it wasn't actually real. We were participating in it in, as play. I think the nature of how news is delivered now, that distinction between real and fake news is much harder to make. It just is. And, um, and, and then the gatekeepers are no longer here. So even when you said, oh, I saw this news, this news story in the National Enquirer, I understood what you were dealing with. But I can't say that about news that came through Facebook anymore. I don't know. You know what I mean? That's a real different thing. So, so if I said I saw something in the New York Times, there was a legacy there. In this, in this universe, we cannot distinguish what's true and what's not true anymore because I can was, take a picture and manipulate it. And there was responsibility. If yeah. I say I read this in the New York Times and then it was found out, well, that's plainly untrue, we can return to the New York Times and hold someone accountable. But, yep. it's, but so to your point, Jason, about the National Enquirer, um, like Trisha said, like, First of all, you had to go get the National Enquirer. <laughs> and just the fact that the National Enquirer, like, here's a story about a boy that is born with the head of a calf. Okay, <laughs> here's a story about a woman who's got, you know, whatever, like penises on her fingers. The, the fact that all those stories are bound together in a single publication tells you what that publication's about. But on Facebook, here's a story from The Atlantic. Now, here's a story from... Democrats are the shits with a Z.com. And then below that, oh, here's an article from the New York Times. Because that's compressed and because of the way that we take in social media, there's, there's no signal to you that this is not to be taken as seriously as the other things that you're seeing. And then you either reshare it or you talk about it. Well, I saw on Facebook that, and this is a real fake news story, I saw on Facebook that Barbara Bush was quoted as saying, how could anyone not vote for Hillary Clinton? She never said that. But the fact is, is that that got proliferated as if it was the truth. And that's, the, so the problem, so Jason, you're right. Maybe the problem isn't fake news. The problem is now the medium. We're able to shoot this stuff around at the speed of thought. 
Can I ask you two a question, though? Well, ask first. We'll see if we'll answer. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Do you, do you, don't you think or do you think that most people know that when a story appears in their Facebook feed, it is quite possible it's fake? Jason. No. No. Jason. No. Who are you hanging out with? Really? <laughs> No. Do you know why? Of course not. Because there have been quite a few errors. I mean, even even people who are sort of remarkably um, astute have made mistakes. Because first of all, it's also the nature of the way stories are now generated. You used to be able to comfortably, you used to be able to feel pretty comfortable about a news story simply because of the way it was arranged. You would know that they wouldn't use certain words. They would, I mean, they, the, the headline wouldn't be, wouldn't be as sort of like salacious as it has been, but also as sort of regular news moves towards entertainment, it's really hard to make those distinctions anymore. And so I've seen, I've seen a number of people retweet articles that, uh, and then have to pull back from it and say, I'm so sorry, that's actually not a real news item. It's not a real news story. Oops, sorry. Or it's so, an old article. Yeah, that's been repurposed. I mean, a lot of people don't actually understand how the Facebook algorithm works. And people aren't reading for context anymore. There's an article currently circling Facebook saying that um, the House has introduced, someone in the House introduced a bill with anti-LGBT discrimination, with LGBT discrimination tucked inside of it. And it's on its way to the Senate and a Barack Obama said he's going to veto it. Well, this is all true. However, uh, this happened in May. It's already gone to the Senate. And I think that the Senate was like, they sent it back. The fact is that alarm has begun and people are now spreading around as if that is what's happening. And so again, the problem isn't fake news. The problem is the medium. Like we are not getting a current snapshot, a look of what's actually happening in the real world whether it's just fake or it's old or it's out of context. Which is actually changing my relationship to news. So go on a long time ago, you know, some of you who've been listening, you know that I have a degree in media ecology, Mm. but um, a part of whatever that means. She was unemployed for a long time, (laughs) but you know, um, which I, which I, which was the degree I picked up at NYU. But one of the, um, one of the interesting um, professors at NYU at the time was Neil Postman. And um, I introduced Kristen. Neil Postman. Wow. Neil Postman. A long time before hearing his name. I know, right? I love Neil Postman. But you know, one of the, Neil Postman wrote a book about news, you know, the business of news and, um, you know, it was amusing ourselves to death. And he talked really about this idea of news, even as a product. And, and I think that we have to actually, I think we might have to revisit that question. What is news? What's the purpose of news? Because um, one of the points that he made, made was that in some ways, the weather is the most important news of the day. It has direct impact on your life. It's local. You don't, you're, not looking, you're not looking about, you're not looking for the weather in, in Timbuktu unless you're going there. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the weather in Los Angeles, California, because you're going to go out in it. And, um, and he, and that really struck me because what we have now is that we're sort of, we're sort of accessing news that we can't do anything about. So of course, necessarily what we're going to do is just kind of be superficially impressed by what we're reading because we don't know what to do with it. And if we can sort of return to the idea that news has to be something that calls for some action on your part, I think you can parse through news a little differently. I mean, I, there's a lot of what you both are saying that makes sense to me. That said, so just if we step away from the news for a second, 
Sure. The fact that it's well-established fact that the earth is warming Mm -hmm. and yet a lot of Americans educated and less educated refuse to acknowledge that and act in ways that are that, you know, in, in, in ways that one would act if that were not true. And I I feel like there's just a whole host of things. And again, in this election, I mean, I, I feel like I heard plenty of interviews with people say, yeah, I know Trump doesn't always tell the truth, but blah, 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 blah. I, the medium is a problem. I still think the deeper problem, if there's demand for accuracy and facts, then there's more likely going to be more supply of it. And no. wait, let me just finish. <laughs> so the Trumpian what, move. What concern? <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> wrong. <laughs> wrong. <laughs> wrong. Sorry, I can help myself. Go ahead. I think the deeper problem is that a lot of people don't care whether something is factual or, 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 and a lot of people, even when presented with evidence that something is factual, still reject it. And I think that happens as much outside of Facebook as it does within Facebook. Sure. But that's because of the, that's because of the space. Listen, what I'm saying is, Listen, if I tell you that it is raining outside, you are going to take an umbrella, okay? If I then break down why it's going to continue to rain outside and you're a farmer, you're going to attend to what that means. Mm -hmm. Did I tell you who I don't think is having a problem believing in um, global warming? I really don't think people who are farmers are having that problem because they have to attend to what this means for their lived experience. So their day to day work. Part of what happens, part of what happened with news is we took it and we packaged it and we decontextualized it for people. And when something has no context, you don't have to attend to it as carefully. So, yes, I do think that um, Facebook is sort of the natural extension of that decontextualization. But if it's the way we present news, I'm not giving it to you in a way that is going to allow you to um, take it in and let it impact something that's going on in your day to day. It's vague. It feels amorphous and it feels like it's something in the future. But if I told you that because this is what's going to happen. I mean, Chris and I were having this conversation offline. If I tell you that come next year or by the end of the year, Medicare is gone. And I say you need to start planning how you move through that the following year. What are you going to do about your medication? And all suddenly that's news that's going to have real impact. You're not just talking about these like sort of weird ideas. You're not talking about this government program you're saying if i sit you down and i'm looking at your local news and i said listen medicare is ending all right do you collect medicare let me explain to you who are the people that are collecting medicare what is this going to do to your life tomorrow we don't present news that way we organize information in this sort of bubble and then we toss it out there and then people don't know what parts of it to grasp onto i feel like you guys are all over the place with the things that you're talking about I, don't uh, think so. I do. News? I mean, yes, but news as a general topic. <laughs> like, I, I introduced the idea of fake news, but now we're just like the very form, like the platonic form of news. Uh, but it's related to fake news, Chris. That's the point. Uh, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. It's just that let's focus on, on a question. I, 
if you guys will allow me, I want to focus on the question that Trish is raising. What is news? Like, I mean, we, we have this idea that news needs to be accurate. It needs to be fact-based. But what does it need to be about? Like, let's let's start there. And I'm always saying one of the pillars of democracy is having access to information by which since we are direct, uh, directly or indirectly electing our representatives, we need to have information about the issues of the day. We need to have information yes. about those electors. So what news is appropriate? Like, what do we need to know? Natricia, you're right. Poston did make that wonderful that wonderful point about the weather, but we're post that now. Like we need to have a bunch of information about a variety of things. What are those things and how are we supposed to get reliable information about it? Okay. So let me just say, I, I and you guys have made fun of me about this before, but I am very satisfied <laughs> with my own, with, with, with the supply of news that I consume. I listen to NPR and so my local NPR station gives me the local weather, local news stories, and then I get national news stories. And, you know, is it possible they get things wrong? It's certainly possible. But they, they seem to fact check. If they ever get something wrong, they seem to come back and say it. And I say that because I, I, I know you disagree with me about this, Tricia, but I still – you know, the thing about – so Facebook. So, you know, there were a couple of news stories during this election, during the campaign that showed up in Facebook that I took to be true and found out later weren't. So by the second or third time that happened, I, you know, I just was like, well, I'm not getting my news from Facebook. I'll still go on Facebook. I'll see how friends are doing. I might see what people are posting. But I will assume nothing is true unless I get some verification. My news I'm going to get from a different source that I trust because I value accuracy and fact-checking. And I think that's still available to everyone. And I, you know, I'm reminded of this interview you may have seen with Newt Gingrich during the campaign where he was saying how well, Americans don't feel safe because crime is you know, out of control. And the interviewer said, wait, wait, wait. The data, you know, shows that crime, you know, violent crime is actually down over the past few decades. He said, yeah, but, you know, people know, you know, they see what's happening. They know. And, and, the, and finally he said, um, look, you're talking facts. I'm talking about how people feel. Mm-hmm. I and I that. think and, – and, and that is a choice that a lot of people have made. And I'm not even judging them when I say that. It just is. And so I, I still – I my – bigger concern is not the medium because i think if if you want to make sure you're getting accurate news um there are still plenty of ways to do that and i'm much more concerned well let me let, let me now put it let me now put it in a positive frame the question that i find interesting in all of this is knowing that so many americans are choosing to act out of emotion rather than out of fact I wonder whether that opens up opportunities to connect with people emotionally in a positive way rather than wrangle over, well, facts are important. Well, I don't care. I, you know, Newt Gingrich, I'm I'm talking about how people feel. And we don't have to, I'm not trying to take us off track. We don't have to go into that. But this issue of like Facebook as a medium, I just don't think that's the root of the problem. And Zuckerberg can come up with his algorithms. I don't don't think, no one said it was the root of the problem. I don't think that's the root of the problem. I think I think Facebook allows something to happen 
But Agreed. I think we're all, we, all the three of us have been circling. The three of us have thrown a lot on the table and I'm just going to pull it all together so we can move on. I think the, I, this election has brought to the forefront. The very question is what is news? What do we need to know? How do we get that information? How do we check that information? Is that important? I think all that's been laid out. Yep. You said earlier, Jason, that Facebook, um, you're right. Facebook is a symptom. Um, I don't know if I would go that far, but what I would say is that Facebook has been a delivery system uh, by which we are, we are allowed to share fake news uh, and misinformation at lightning speed. And we didn't have that chance before. You know, if you printed out a pamphlet and handed it out before it got too far, it could be debunked yeah. by another pamphlet or just word of mouth. But now you have people on both coasts quoting a fake article um, and that spreads outside of Facebook. And then it's like a cancer. And Trisha, what you're saying about news as far as the weather, not the weather, the idea is is that news has been packaged as a product and delivered on a mass scale, which means that it's actually relevant to no one. And that's the problem here is because in glossing over so many of the details, it can get so much wrong. And the inaccuracies are just part of the packaging. And that's, I mean, to me, that's not acceptable. Jason is suggesting is that people are making a choice between um, choosing to approach something rationally and choosing to approach something emotionally. Which, which, I is, think that, which is where we are in this day and age. It's like, what is our relationship to facts? Right. That to but me I is don't, the most I don't, but important I, I don't, conversation. Trish? I don't, but I, I, I don't buy that. I think that's a misdirect. I think the idea that people are being swayed by it. their emotions. I love it. I don't buy it. I love you know, it. I don't buy it because I think that, um, I mean, what it's presuming is that we, we are essentially different than we've always, than we've ever been. I think that there are, I think people want to make decisions. People want to make decisions based on the no- known elements. I think the idea that people are suddenly making emotional choices and where in the past they were making logical, I don't know if that, I mean, that just, it just feels like a, um, it feels like a, a cop out to me. I think the situation has changed and I think people are then forced to make decisions based on little information. And so they're, they're going for intuition, but I think people always want to make decisions at the end of the day, if you're going to decide what, what, what to feed your family you're not making an emotional choice you're basically basing decision on what you can afford and things like that but we don't break down information and we don't break down news that way anymore so people are sort of forced to kind of intuit some other thing mm-hmm. i think that's very well said i think that, that i i totally agree with you okay so let's move on to media recommendations was this something that you've seen heard or experienced you think other people should see hear or experience trisha I've been sharing this and I love it. And um, because as Jason has accused us of, we we've been doing a lot of hand wringing about the election. <laughs> Are you going to recommend some towelettes? No. So, <laughs> so he's I like, found these great moist towelettes. That I'd like I to know. As I, <laughs> so I will share it when um, the podcast posts, but I read this fantastic Tumblr post and it was called, I, I read it this morning and it gave me new life. And so it will give you new life as well. And it said um, on rural America, understanding isn't the problem. 
And so the main contention of the piece is that liberals, Democrats, whomever should stop hand wringing and wondering if they're not paying enough attention to the people who voted for Trump. And he then goes on this fantastically long rant about the people who voted for Trump because he lives with them and he knows them. And and, um, it's wonderful. You know, it's wonderful. It was a wonderful piece because really, I I feel like people are getting confused and lost (laughs) Mm -hmm. about what this election was about. And um, I think he was very clarifying. He's like, listen, a lot of people voted for Trump who have made the wrong conclusions about why their lives are fucked up. Hmm. And so we can't continue to give them room to mistake what they voted for. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't lie to yourself about what you did. Like if you voted for Trump because Trump told you that immigrants were the cause of your problems, if we get rid of all the immigrants tomorrow, you still wouldn't have a job. That's right. Yeah. So that was good. I'll share. All right. Jason. Uh, before I give mine, I would like to make a request of the listener. If you would please go on iTunes and write a review. Oh. Um, that would be of great help to us. We hope you enjoy this podcast and we'd like other people to enjoy it. And the only way they're going to find out about it is if they see reviews in iTunes. So little request. Now, my recommendation um, I was listening to The Big Listen the other day, which, for those who don't know, is, an, again, NPR um, show. It was a local D.C. show. It's now gone national, and it's, mm-hmm. as they describe it, a, a, the broadcast about podcasts. So every episode, Lauren Ober, the host, interviews a couple of podcasters, and I was introduced to um, this uh, podcast, Hardcore History, Mm-hmm. And um, they're five-hour episodes um, about actual events in history. I've I've just finished one. I started another one, but the one I finished was a five-hour episode um, about this incident in Munster, city in Germany, with the Anabaptists soon after Martin Luther. I had never heard this story. It was unbelievable. I loved it. I am hooked. That's my recommendation. Ooh, nice fun. Yeah, nice. You guys like that one? Oh, I got I had a good one. Oh, I know. I feel good about that. Yes, you must be you must be praised so you have more. You know what? <laughs> I was that that one month period where you made stupid recommendations, but you've been pretty good up ever since then. <laughs> you were, you, were you guys didn't like Deadpool enough. But you didn't like Deadpool. I know, but that was your media. I didn't like the Jack Reacher one either, but that was your recommendation. <laughs> well, that's what right. I didn't like that one either. What am I supposed this to do? Like. I finally have one you like. This I'm so excited. Oh, stop it. I am going to recommend the insanely fantastic HBO show Insecure. It follows uh, a modern day 29-year-old black woman living in LA and uh, her and her best friend. It, it explores their friendship. Um, Issa Rae is the star. Her relationship with her job and her boyfriend. The great thing about this show um, as Issa Rae said in an interview, was that it really explores the weak black woman. We see the we see the <laughs> archetype of the strong black woman, like shouldering her job and her kids and her relationship and being bulletproof. And honey, this bitch can't get it together. And it is <laughs> it's in which is so frustrating. It's, like her. it's 
it's endearing because it's real. And these, there are black women like this. Like the majority of black women are like this. And it's often a role. I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Not you, obviously. (laughs) All black women, Patricia, are like this. It's a role that, it's it's a part that doesn't come along um, all the time. And it took Issa Rae and Larry Wilmore actually to write this series. And uh, it's fantastic. Please watch it. Please watch it. It's funny and it's sad and it's poignant. And it's really getting a lot of conversations starting on Black Twitter and Black Facebook about sexuality and therapy and all these other things that Black people avoid talking about. It's fantastic. All right, people. So another one in the bag. This was our 20th episode. So we, we made it to 20, 20 years old. Uh, not really 20 20 episodes deep. And I think we should start talking about that special end of the year episode that we're going to go live. Let's have like a talk back with the audience. Ooh, fun, fun. Great. Let's Let's do do it. it. We're going to have people, I can't tell you how many people have been like, Oh, I just want to get on there and like argue with you guys. Well, now you can. (laughs) So stay tuned. We're going to let you know how you do that. Uh, but for now I'm going to say good night. Bye guys. Bye. And remember to rate us on iTunes. Yeah, do that. (laughs) See you later.